Turned off by religion and hypocrisy? Hate being preached to? Something missing in your life? You haven't been getting the whole truth, the whole Bible, and the Hebraic roots of the scriptures. Get answers and treasures now on Solace Radio. Family and I, I think it was in October, over 15 years ago, we came and we visited Beth Yeshua. Um, or somewhere, I can't remember where they were. But uh, I was on a search because the place I was at was teaching what you know as replacement theology, and it did it just didn't sit right in my spirit. And so I I was questioning God. I was like, you know, what? All right, God, what does the church have to do with Israel, and what does Israel have to do with the church? I I need to know these things, you know. So we came over 15 years ago, and then um, disappeared for a little bit, and came back right about this time, and started really just submitting ourselves and listening and trying to hear from the Lord, and uh, just really trying to understand the whole picture. And as many of you, we found the answer. And um, I believe this message today, I hope, will maybe clarify what God is trying to do, this big picture that He's trying to bring, bring about. And I want to dedicate this message to Rabbi for his faithfulness, for uh, for coming here and standing firm on the word and, and not backing off and for delivering truth week after week and um, for being ridiculed, I'm sure, as well, too. But we just want to thank you, brother, and we love you if you're listening. I grew up in South Florida. I'm from New York, not too far down the road from where Rabbi grew up, but my parents were smart. They got me out of New York when I was seven. <laughs> took me down to South Florida, and I remember growing up that my dad uh, was in the construction business, and uh, he was a superintendent on a couple jobs, commercial jobs, and um, he uh, just decided one day, I'm going to start building houses, so he went and got his contractor's license and started building houses, and uh, then his identical twin brother joined him for a couple years, and his twin brother left. But my dad was a man of character. He was a man of honesty, uh, and he still is, a man of integrity. And when he built a house, it didn't matter if it was a 1,500-square-foot uh, house for $125,000 at that time, or if it was, as I was building with him myself, the last house we did was over 10,000 square feet, and it was a multimillion-dollar house. But he put the same quality the same service, the same dedication into each one of those homes. And it didn't matter if it was, uh, you know, usually as a builder you give a year's warranty on stuff. And then the people are kind of on their own to go fix stuff and get things repaired and stuff like that. But I always noticed my dad would, you know, four or five years later go down the road and make these repairs and never charge the people. And I said, why do you do that? And he said, I don't need to advertise. He said, you do something for someone, and you do it right. And so I've always honored my dad as one of the best builders I've ever met, you know, because of the quality, because of the service, and because of everything that he put in. But in 1986, now I'm dating myself, that all changed. My dad was no longer the best builder that I ever met. You see, in July of 1986, that was the time that God took me out of darkness, and brought me into his light. 
there was a time that He opened my eyes to see things that I'd never seen before, that I was blinded to. And so, my dad had to move out of the place as master builder in my mind. And then the master builder and creator and sustainer of all things took first place. And I want to talk to you about that today. You know, God tells us in His Word that it is He who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then He rested on the seventh day. We see that in Exodus 20 and Nehemiah 9, uh, 2011 and Nehemiah 9, 6. And, he, and the Word tells us that He did all of this through His only begotten Son, Yeshua. Shaul refers to this in Colossians 1.16. He says, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, whether they're visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. See, my dad can only build a little thick house or, or concrete or block house or brick house, but God can do so much greater. There's so many universes out there that our eyes can't even see and so many things that are invisible that He's created that keep things going and keep things in order. That's a master builder. That's a great creator. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews references the master builder as well. He says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, and those are the days that you and I are living in right now, He's spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and here it is, through whom He also made the world. You see, God is not the creator of just what we can see. He's the creator of things we can't see. And just to think about it, He even sets kingdoms up and allows people to rule those kingdoms. People we wouldn't choose, but they're people that ultimately bring about God's purpose and God's plan. They ultimately bring God glory and honor and praise somehow. He's the master builder of all things. Since the creation of man, God has always sought to build for himself a spiritual household as well. Think about this. A household of believers that would live in fellowship with him day in and day out, those who desire to do His will with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, like you do, like I hopefully do, like those who are watching do. Why He did this, we never fully will know. I don't think there's anybody out there, any human being that ever lived that will fully understand the mind of God. Why He created everything. How He's put this into place and how He keeps it Keeps it going as well. Shaul tells us again in 1 Corinthians 2.16, well, he asks us a question, and he says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? And the answer to that one is simple. Not me, I know that. And it's not you. And it wasn't even the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. Nobody. But a lot of times we act as if we do know everything about God and what He's going to do. And when we do that, we get a little bit too far ahead of God. And then He has to pull us back, give us our little spiritual spanking, and then we, okay, we'll, we'll get behind you and we'll follow in line again and see what it is you want us to do. I believe today that God wants me to communicate something to you, and that is the big picture of what He's trying to bring about. 
You see, after our salvation, God has to do something. He has to take His law and He has to place it within our mind and then He has to scribe it upon our hearts, right? His very law. Without His law, you and I wouldn't know the holiness of God. We wouldn't know what righteousness is. We wouldn't know anything of of the sort. Because if you look back in time before God even sent out His law, before He ever sent sent out His Spirit into man, Man was doing what he thought was right in his own mind, in his own heart. And so we have chaos that way. There has to be a standard. There has to be truth. There has to be righteousness and holiness. But just putting his law within our mind and just putting his law within our hearts doesn't do it. It's not it. It's not all. Scripture tells us that God has to seal us with something as a believer, as his. Ephesians 1.13 and 1.14 talks about that. It says, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. The word sealed here is a Greek word, fragizo, and it means to stamp something. It means to stamp as with a signet, signet ring or some sort of private mark. To mark it for two things. To mark it for security and for preservation. For security and preservation. The Spirit of God, think about this, is God's private mark within you and upon you. He marks you as a letter sealed for Himself. Sealed for Himself. This seal is given to us who believe as a pledge, believe it or not, for our inheritance, our future inheritance. One that won't rust, one that won't fade away. It's reserved for us in heaven. Right now, we are positionally seated in the heavenlies while we're physically here on earth. But one day we are going to spiritually be united with that that position right there. Whether Yeshua comes and starts his kingdom and we're, we're sitting here on earth ruling and reigning with him or whether or not he takes us home before to be in his kingdom in the, in the heavens, we are then going to be united. But the Spirit of God does more than that. The Spirit of God does more than that. It's there actually to take and interpret the law that was placed within your mind and upon your heart. Without the Spirit, you could not interpret it. You'd only interpret it from a fleshly mindset. And flesh doesn't understand the things of God. Only the Spirit can interpret the things of God. Shaul tells us that. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.11, For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Think about that. The Spirit searches all things. Even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows, except the spirit of God. The spirit of God searches the depths of God to reveal the thoughts of God. Did you catch that? It is the spirit of God that reveals to those in whom he's deposited, those in whom he dwells, the very thoughts and the very mind of God. You need the spirit. I need the spirit on a moment-by-moment basis. Let me say that one more time. The Spirit of God searches the depths of God 
to reveal the thoughts and the mind of God to those in whom He lives. Those who have His law written upon their minds and inscribed upon their heart. It's not you who figured it out, and it's not me who figured it out. We have to get out of the way. We have to become less so that He can become more and He can become greater. And we do that by allowing the Spirit to rule and reign in our life. And we follow after the Spirit and not walk after the flesh. Don't give yourself that much credit when God brings something about. You see Him do something great. It's not you. It's not me. It's God working through you and God working in you. Shaul states in 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now that we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. It is the Spirit that actually reveals the things of God to us. He makes them clear. He makes them understandable. And we can walk them out. You won't understand anything that God knows. You won't even understand the thoughts and the mind of God without His Spirit. And if you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, guess what? As 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, you have the mind of Messiah. It's God's very Spirit within us that aids us in so many ways, day in and day out. He teaches us. He reminds us. He convicts us. He guides us. He leads us. And the best thing is, He disciplines us if we allow Him. You have to allow Him to discipline you. And you have to learn from the things that you do wrong. We all do. And then you go back and say, okay, this time I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to let you walk out in front, God. I'm not going to get ahead. I See, I've done that too many times in my life. Walked ahead of God and got my spiritual spanking and backed up. It's taken me a lot of years to sit down and say, I'm not moving from point A to point B unless the Spirit leads me. Unless the Spirit guides me. Unless God goes out before me and says, do this and do that. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not doing anything. Messiah in you and Messiah in me by the power of His Spirit is part of the mystery that God actually had hidden for ages when you think about that. That's cool. That's neat. His Word tells us that this mystery was hidden in ages until that perfect time would come, as Ephesians 3.9 says. I love how God handles the secret things. I love how He handles mysteries because He handles them in different ways than we would. Deuteronomy 29.29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed, they belong to us and His children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. God reveals things to the children of His household as He sees fit in His perfect timing. Not when we think they need to be revealed but when he sees fit and in his perfect timing. But did you catch the end of the verse? The main purpose for God choosing to reveal mysteries, the main purpose for God choosing to reveal secret things is this, that man would do all the words of this law, which is his law. The law that is written upon your mind and written upon your heart. That's powerful if you ask me. You and I are to perform and to live out God's law on a daily basis. What's inscribed upon your heart and what's placed in your mind. Any secret thing revealed, any mystery revealed, has as its purpose to lead the very children of God into obedience to God. And into obedience to His ways. Everything that God does is way beyond us. I don't think I'd set it up that way. But God set it up that way for a purpose. We need the power of His Spirit within us to help 
interpret the things of God. To help us to know how to even be obedient to God. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so he sends out his word into the world. He sends out his word into our life by the power of the Spirit. You think about that. To rule and reign our lives. And what does his word do? Well, it's, it's, it goes out and it accomplishes the very matter for which he sent it forth within your life and within the world, as we see in Isaiah 55, 11. Whatever God intends to do, he will bring it about. Whether you're going to be part of that or not, you have to make that choice. Nothing or no one is going to stop him and his, or his word from accomplishing what he sent it forth to do. His very word is restoring and rebuilding what the evil one and the evil one's allies destroyed since the very beginning. I believe that even as believers, you and I, we just keep going back to this, but we get so caught up in our little world. We have this myopic vision or this myopic mindset, which means all we are is we're focused on this one little thing. And that's our little world. What's going on right here? You know? I believe God wants you today, and He wants me today, to see the bigger picture of what He intends to do. And when we're willing, and when we see that bigger picture, we will become willing to sacrifice our purposes and our goals for His purpose and for His goal. And that's what He wants. And I really do believe that our brothers and sisters that live in third world countries and difficult places that, where there's persecution that abounds, that they understand this so much greater than we do. You see, here in the States and other financially rich countries, we're just, we're just so caught up in these things. And we're so technically advanced that it takes so much of our time. These things, the computer and the phone and all these things, were supposed to make our life easier, weren't they? But what do they do? They make us busier. So busy that I think it distracts us from the things that God wants us to know and the things that God wants us to accomplish. But to understand this big picture, we got to go back to the very beginning of man. It's always been God's intent, like I said, to have one big spiritual family who would honor him, who would obey him, who would live for him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I believe that he always intended there for there to be one spiritual household. And yet, as we know, we're just so divided still. Nothing can break this division, it seems like. This is not what God intended. And I believe it's part of our job me, after being 15, being here 15 years, I think I know a little bit better now. And I think, I don't know how long you've been here, but you should know that it's part of your job now to bring this oneness that God wants. God started building this spiritual household back in the Garden of Eden, when you think about it, where he would come and walk with man in the coolness of the day and fellowship with man. But, as always, man turns to the flesh, and man rebelled and did exactly what God didn't want him to do. And so what did God do? He asked him to leave his house. Matter of fact, he probably escorted him out of the house. Just like you would, if someone, if you invited someone into your house, and you have rules and regulations, and they come to your house, maybe they kick your dog, maybe they say something terrible about your spouse, or maybe they take something before they leave and put it in their pocket, you know, and you see them, you're going to ask them to leave, right? That's your house. Those are your rules and regulations that you live by. So God did the same thing. He asked man to leave his house. 
But it has always been God's intent to bring about restoration. It's always been his intent to reform that spiritual house that he started in the beginning, even though it was two people. Grown to how many millions of people are now? But in order for God to restore man back to his house, God had to come up with a game plan, didn't he? And the game plan is this. He would call a man from the nations and from, from the people of the nations and then form from that man people who would love him and people who would serve him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God would then give to these people his ways that he desired for them to live out. Ways that would prosper them, ways that would protect them, uh, ways that would bring them peace. They chose to walk in them. So when God called this man, whose name is Abram, he was living in a different country. Matter of fact, his family were idol makers and they were doing things of the world. But he said, Abram, I want you to come to this place that I show you. And one of those things that he promised Abram is that he would be the father of many nations, as in Genesis 17:4. You see, this is the key to understanding the big picture of what God wants you to know. When Abram came to the land that God called him, it was there that God made a covenant with Abram. And then he changed Abram's name to Abraham. He, he moved him from being exalted father to father of the multitude. And so God was going to bring about a promise through Abraham of restoring his house as he intended it to be. This promise would not be fully realized, though, until Messiah would come. It was Messiah who would accomplish the major milestone in restoring God's intended spiritual house. It was Messiah's sacrificial death that would deal all evil a mortal blow when you think about it. It was Messiah's sacrificial death that rendered the evil one powerless. He once held the keys of death, but he no longer holds them. It was Messiah who truly opened the way for the master builder to come and restore what he had promised to Abraham. God's spiritual house would include people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. This is what God intended from the very beginning. And all believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are what God calls his household. We are, as Shaul says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, God's building. Shaul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells within each one of you? You and I, as Kepha says in 1 Peter 2.5, living stones, we're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Messiah, Yeshua. We are part of God's great plan to restore his spiritual house. Think about that. This is the big picture. This is the mystery revealed. Even though we are just like this little small building block or a little piece of wood. Some of us are blockheads and some of us are just dead wood in the house. But we're part of God's building. What I think is so amazing is... Uh, that God kept this mystery hidden for thousands of years. You think about that. How do you hide a secret like that? Told it to Abraham. Did they not fully understand it down through the generation? I don't know. Obviously not. But we get to be part of this big picture, this big household. It was in Messiah, like I said, that this finally came to light. In Romans 16, 26, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, 
according to my gospel and the preaching of Messiah Yeshua, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages past, but it is now manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to the obedience of faith. There it goes, going back to being obedient to this law that was written upon our hearts and minds. Part of what we're supposed to do. It's for all nations leading to the obedience of faith. Ephesians, Charles states in Ephesians 1.9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Messiah. Messiah brought it to light. He's the one that's going to make it happen. The mystery is in accordance with God's eternal purpose. Not my purpose, not your purpose, but God's eternal purpose. The big, perp- the big picture was set forth in Messiah Yeshua. What the evil one once tore down and he was so proud of, getting man kicked out of the garden, and then later on dividing men and people groups throughout time, God is now victoriously building back up. The division between Jew and Gentile is being wiped away. And our God, we know, will be victorious. This is the message that I came seeking for 15 years ago. Why are we so divided? Why are there so many people groups still out there? Aren't we supposed to be one? Isn't this what Yeshua prayed in one of His prayers? That they would be one, Father? But yet we're still so divided. God will accomplish the goal that He started, that He set forth. He will accomplish it. Nothing's going to stop Him. He will restore the spiritual household. Ephesians 3, 3 through 6, Shaul states, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive into my insight the mystery of Messiah, which is in other generations was made known, uh, which in other generations was not made known, excuse me, to the sons of men, as it is now being revealed to his holy prophets, holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. And here it is to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the gospel. If we are part of that, then that means something already existed. God's not creating anything new. We're just being joined into it. Isn't it true? Isn't that what that's saying? This mystery, this is the mystery that God revealed through His holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles being fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua. Shaul states in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of, of the glory of this mystery. And the mystery is this, Messiah in you, the very hope of glory. It's only in Messiah that all people groups can be united. Think about this. It's only in Him that we can be one spiritual household. As Shaul says in Ephesians, it was Messiah's plan to make a way for those who were separate from Messiah, those who were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, those who were strangers to the covenants of promise, and those who had no hope, those who were in the world and without God, to come to know and be part of this great spiritual household. He's always intended this since the very beginning. And to bring them near, as Ephesians 2.13 says, by the blood of Messiah. You see, there was no peace between the groups for thousands of years. And Satan made sure that there was no peace. 
He continually put a wedge in and continually brought about division. The evil one is in the business of dividing and conquering only if we allow him. We have the Spirit of God. What was at the very heart of this separation? I want to look at that. What was at the heart of the separation between two people groups? Let me state this. Man-made rules and regulations. Man-made rules and regulations. It's what kept the groups actually divided for so long. But Satan allowed that. He kept planting the seeds. He kept dropping, dropping thoughts. It was a tool that he used. And he continues to use today, as you, as you can see. Yeshua spoke against this so much when he faced the religious leaders of his day. He came to correctly interpret things that they were misinterpreting. And you'll see that in that, that plethora of scriptures, Matthew 15, 3 through 9 through Luke 14, 1 through 5. You can look those up if you've got the paper when you get home. For it is only in Messiah that there can be peace, when you think about it, between the two groups. He is the one uniting factor. Him and Him only. He's the one rebuilding and restoring God's spiritual household when you think about it. But as in every kingdom, you've got to submit to it. You've got to submit to Him, to His rules, His regulations, His ways. Not hold on to your denominational ways or not hold on to your own personal interpretation of something. But God's. If you're not settled on something, keep crying out to God for an answer. He'll show you. That's His job. That's the Spirit's job is to reveal things. And you know what? You might be walking in the faith 20, 30 years and you might have to say, I believe that all wrong. I've finally come to the conclusion you know, that I've been seeing this wrong. All of us make mistakes. All of us are fallible. And so we need the Spirit to really finally reveal it. I don't understand why sometimes he reveals it later than he does earlier, but there's a reason. I guess so some of us won't go back and do the same things or teach the same things. Shaul says in Ephesians 2.14-18, through 18, he says, For he himself is our peace who made both groups one, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And how did he do this? We know this in Ephesians 2.15. It says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Oh my gosh, that's the law of God, isn't it? No, it's not the law of God. This is what I want to explain. What is the enmity spoken of here in the letter of Ephesians? If we were to describe it directly from the very definition of the word, this is how I would, what, what I would say the enmity is. It's an enemy to what God intended. It is openly hostile Toward what God intended. It carries with it a deep-seated hatred to divide men. Its personal hatred is bent on inflicting harm to people of other groups. And it is marked by an irreconcilable hostility. Is that the law of God? Of course not! So how can some people say it is? It is not the law of God. Okay? How can God reconcile the nations unto Himself if this enmity continued to exist. And we know only in Yeshua and only through Yeshua. Without Him, it's impossible. But with Him, all things are possible. Okay? And God knew this from the very beginning. Ephesians 2.15 tells us that Yeshua abolished in His flesh through His sacrifice the enmity. That is the enemy that was openly hostile 
and caused irreconcilable hostility and personal hatred between two people groups. But what was causing this enmity? That's what we got to look at. We haven't looked at the root yet. Shaul goes on to tell us in Ephesians 2.15 that this enmity was contained in law, in the law of commandments that were contained in ordinances made by man. The word for ordinances here is the Greek word dogma. And the Greek word dogma means this, plain and simple, an opinion. It's a public decree that's made, but it's just an opinion of someone. That's powerful when you think about it, that that's at the very root of division, which causes enmity, is man's opinion. (laughs) Isn't it always? Well, I believe President... And whatever, division, here we go. The word is powerful dogma. It is. It's just your opinion. It's just my opinion. opinion. The enmity was just the opinions of man, be it from the Jewish perspective or be it from the non-Jewish perspective. It was still man's opinion and it still caused division. It was keeping God from achieving what He wanted to achieve. One spiritual household, one group of believers worshiping Him. This is not the law of God itself, like I said but the very rules and regulations concocted by man. Maybe possibly a fence around the existing law so man didn't break a law. I don't know. That's called fence laws if if you've ever read up on that. These are laws concocted by man to separate himself from other people as if to say, I have a corner on truth and I'm going to protect this truth. And God's coming and he's busting down fences. Yeshua came and he busted down the fences. And he's saying, don't put those fences up. I will correctly interpret it for you. And here's what it means. If you need an interpretation for anything, you go back to the Word of God. These are the things that Messiah spoke against, like I said. He was here. The rules, the regulations concocted by man. This is the enmity. This was the dividing wall between men. This kept people from God. This excluded men from the commonwealth of Israel. This kept men as strangers to the covenants of promise. Men being in the world without hope and without God. You see, in order to restore his house as he intended it from the very beginning, God had to reconcile this. God had to deal with this. The circumcised and the uncircumcised bring them back into one body. And he did this all through the execution stake. He did this all by taking the very creator and sustainer of everything and allowing his death, to become a sacrificial death that unites the two groups into one. And not only does it unite the two groups into one, it mends something that happened from the very beginning of time. It does away with our sin. It doesn't just cover it. It removes it. And it allows us now, people who are not part of the body of believers, to come back in fellowship, to come back in relationship with God. And be part of this one spiritual household. Ephesians 2, 17 and 18 says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the mystery revealed. The mystery that the evil one is still trying to conceal once again. To keep our God from restoring what rightfully belongs to Him. That is you. That is me. That is other brothers and sisters out in the world. Time to tear down 
the little fence laws. It's time to tear down the things that divide us and let Yeshua correctly interpret so that we can be one. Together in Messiah, we are being built into that spiritual family that God has always desired. One spiritual household of believers. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all all and in all. As Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, God's plan to restore his house as he intended will come to pass, whether you are going to be part of it or whether you're not going to be part of it. So when you place your faith and trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then you trust in what Messiah Yeshua has done for you, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And this household is built upon a strong, indestructible foundation. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the chief cornerstone. And I don't know if you know anything about building. Like I said, I grew up in a a family that built stuff. And we overbuild stuff. My dad was overbuild. We should have been bridge builders, everybody told us. Because we didn't use just a little concrete. We used a lot of concrete. We knew that a foundation was key to everything. If the foundation wasn't strong, everything above it would crumble. So this foundation is Yeshua himself, and the whole spiritual household rests on him. In whom the whole building, as Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 says, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And if you are... You are now part of the commonwealth of Israel. You are no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. You have the greatest hope that someone could have. You can be in the world and not of it. You can, you can face tremendous, adverse, difficult circumstances and have an assurance that God is going to be with you through the whole thing. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to carry you through whatever it may be. So there's one question. That remains here. Are you part of God's spiritual household? This building that he's putting together. Or are you out there on your own doing your own little thing? Part of some denomination following those denominational rules. Set of rules and regulations. Are you willing to put that away? Are you willing to place your faith and trust in how Yeshua correctly interprets stuff? That's a, that's a question I can't answer, but only a question you can answer. Are you willing to place your faith and trust in what God's We are rightfully God's, but sometimes we stand in the way. We're, we're the problem a lot of times. God wants Jew and Gentile, male and female, circumcised and uncircumcised, living as one spiritual household. With Yeshua being the Lord of all with His law being placed within our minds and upon our hearts, and with His Spirit leading and guiding us through it all. So as I close today, I want to ask you, don't let this Word go in one ear and out the other. Let it sit in your heart and let it germinate. Don't let it fall on the stony ground where it doesn't have root to attach. Don't let the cares of the world and the riches of the world blind you from what God wants to let this word do, and that is challenge you 
to be part of this one spiritual household. Jew and Gentile united in Messiah Yeshua. So if you would, please stand. Join a hand. Give thanks to the Lord. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for considering us to be part of this great thing that you're doing. Building this one spiritual household, believers. And Father, let nothing stand in the way. Not our own purposes, not our own goals, but what you want. May we we be willing, may we be challenged to sacrifice our own goals and purposes for what you want. May we, may we be that living sacrifice daily for you. Lord, may we lay down our life if it means that. So many people are doing that. So many believers, Father, willing to just give of themselves, be a living sacrifice. Because I know that what awaits them is far greater than what we've experienced here. Give us the faith. Increase our trust in you. Give us the strength day in and day out to face adverse situations. And Lord, it doesn't matter what the world thinks about us. It matters what you think. And we're here to represent you. So just let our lives be a light that shines into the darkness. Work, home, we go shopping. Wherever you send us, Father, help us to be your voice, your hand, feet, taking the good news wherever we go. And not being ashamed of the gospel. We know it is the power of you, God, unto salvation for those who believe. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Lord, we're here to serve you. So we surrender our lives to you today. We do exalt you. We do praise you. And we do worship you. You deserve so much more. So much more. Let our lives be that living sacrifice. Now, may the Lord bless and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. Be gracious. May He lift up His countenance upon you this day and give you His peace. <laughs> Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Don't forget to exit. (laughs) From the San Luis Valley in southern Colorado, this is Solace Radio.